official Manga Puja celebration and uh, I always find it very inspiring to see everyone here to have a chance to have such occasions where the Sangha comes together and to reflect on the purpose and meaning of our life because uh, the one thing the Sangha community has is that we have a, a common spiritual goal of freedom from ignorance, liberation from selfishness, realization of Nibbana. This is, uh, this is something that one must always uh, remember because uh, we do forget that sometimes the worldly conditions can become the important things to us and, and we forget we, we, whenever problems arise, difficulties, it's always because we're putting some kind of worldly thing ahead of uh, as the most important thing and, and holding on to that. That's why in, in the, the whole aim and, and kind of uh, thrust of spiritual development is this common goal that we all share. We're all here for that reason. We're all taking on the precepts and the living the, the holy life for that. That's it. That's the whole purpose. We're not here in order to gain any kind of social privileges. Here in Britain, there's no social perk, being a Buddhist monk or nun. Uh, you, there's no kind of great advantages, social advantages, or chance to to get anything out of it, really. It's, uh, it's uh, uh, here in, in Britain right now, the, the Buddhist tongue is quite pure because uh, we're here for just that, that pure aim and aspiration for the realization of Nibbana. And even sometimes, even though you might not think, uh, sometimes you forget that or you you maybe wonder sometimes about your own aspiration. Don't. I mean, make that your goal. It's what we have a rational mind for. We can choose. Make the, the greatest, the highest, the most superb uh, uh, ideal as our goal. We can choose to do that. So, to me, the, the, uh, the Buddhist, uh, in, the, in, the, in the Buddhist uh, type of language, uh, the realization of Nibbana is our goal. And to me that's the highest I can think of. I can't think of anything higher or better or, or something, more, something that I think would be more important than that. Because that implies the the relinquishment of ignorance, 
selfishness, greed, hatred, and delusion. The abandonment of it, and the letting go. And these words are very, uh, very powerful words in, in Buddhist uh, vocabulary. Talking about letting go of abandonment, relinquishment, renunciation. Uh, and sometimes in English, these words convey a kind of rejection of something. Uh, a kind of denial or rejection, getting rid of because we don't like or we're averse to something. But that's not what we mean by when we say abandon or letting go or relinquishment. It's, it's not out of aversion, hatred uh, towards anything, but realization of the, that the causes of suffering are due to grasping things out of ignorance. But our whole habit, tendencies, our whole conditioning is to grasp. And so we, we live in a culture that is, promotes grasping on every level. And, and selfish interest and self-obsession. And we're conditioned, we're programmed for that way of thinking, for that, for that kind of activity. Very much, uh, uh, you know, a comic uh, conditioning that we all have is to grasp to identify, to cling, to always want things we don't have, or think that what we have is not good enough, to never be satisfied or contented with what we have or with anything, always hoping and longing to get something better. Uh, the, the modern approach to life is based on arousing that kind of uh, ongoing, endless desire for something we don't have yet. And to get rid of, or, or, and oftentimes getting rid of, is uh, being what we have is not good enough. And so we want to get rid of last year's model and get the, get the newest, the best. So we, we recognize that this is very much uh, a part of our uh, karmic experience, that this is the, the, uh, the program that has been instilled in this, in this uh, being. But the... But then there's also this possibility for uh, not just being helplessly caught and stuck into that way of thinking. I mean, even though that's how we think and, and emotional habits tend to, to uh, react in that way, we are, we, our refuge is not in, in our thoughts or our emotions, but in the Buddha Dhamma Sangha. Well, on this winter's retreat, just trying to to emphasize the real the, the profundity of that of the refuges of Buddha Dhamma Sangha, and how to to uh, say internalize those refuges, not see them as just mere uh, poly formulas that we we recite on uh, opposita days, and not just empty words or just symbolic, but actually they're real refuges. That, that refuge is something that we need to realize in our, in our own, in our mind. So that's why the reflective teachings of the Lord Buddha are, to, to, are, are not, they're not teachings we grasp and believe in, but they're teachings pointing to the reality that they're, they're, they're not just abstraction or theory but they're pointing to, a re to the reality that we can realize 
and know directly. So refuge in Buddha uh, is something that isn't, isn't just a, a, a sentimental refuge in, in some idea that there's some, somebody called Buddha in the universe watching over us, or, that, or just a sentimental respect for the, uh, the, the prophet, the, the sage Gotama. But contemplate, what is Buddha now as far as your own experience goes? As far as your own ability to, to like to, as far as your experience as a human individual. Of course, it, it is the sign of the awakened mind, isn't it? The awakened one, the, the pure awakeness, the pure awareness. Right now, it's not a, a stage you develop. It's, it's, it's the immediacy of the moment, that which is attentive, alert, pure intelligence, pure awakeness, attentiveness now. Just that simple ability to pay attention now, to be awake and aware. So the, the refuge is an immediate one. Buddha, the word itself, is, it has that meaning of the, the knowing, the pure intelligent knowing of the way things are. The awake, the one, the, that which is awake. So you don't, if, you know, if you start thinking I'll awaken next year, then you, you're missing the whole point. Because the, the teachings of the Buddha about now, about timelessness, about amata dhamma, about the santitiko akariko ehipasko panayako bhajatang dhamma. Not about a stage that you go through and something you get at the end of a long journey. It's, it has its immediacy. So the refuge is, is, uh, is, is that direct. That, I mean, so in this state of awakened awareness. Then the, the Dhamma is the truth of the way it is. So the Buddha knows the Dhamma, the way things are. And so the Buddha gave teachings, like the, all conditions are impermanent, the Pesankarani Cha. That's the way things are at any moment, isn't it? Whatever we're thinking, feeling, seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, all of that, the five uh, groups, the five aggregates, the six senses, the six ayatanas, and well, these are the nama rupa, the vijnana, all this is, is, uh, is the, the pe-sankarani cha. All conditions are impermanent. And so that's a reflection by, by using this awakened awareness, this attentiveness, this ability to listen, watch, pay attention. Then we, we, we reflect on the way it is not in terms of, of uh, the qualities of the conditions, but in terms of the characteristics that all conditions are impermanent. So it gives us a way to, to, to see 
to to contemplate everything that we're experiencing in terms of what it is before it becomes highly charged with personal preferences, liking or disliking, or or, or uh, preferring this over that, whether it's good or bad, right or wrong, pleasant or painful, male or female, um, good or bad, whatever it is, is, all conditions are impermanent. So this, this is a, a reflective teaching, to contemplate impermanence, especially around the, the habits we have, the, the views of ourselves, the thoughts, the, the feelings, the desires, the fears, uh, all of that, that that we experience in our mind. Because that pure attentiveness is, uh, that pure awakened awareness as our refuge is aware of, say, desire. Personal, the personality is seen as an object. The, uh, well, the, the, uh, the body itself, uh, this human body, is seen as an object not rather than, than assume that this is what I am, we're seeing it now, reflecting upon it as, as an object, as Dhamma. Rupang anichang, Vedana anicca, Sanya anicca, Sankara anicca, Vinyanang anichang. Then Sapetama anatta, this rather mysterious. All Dhamma is non-self. So, the, the thing that, that most uh, inhibits and, and blinds us to, to, to Dhamma is, is the assumptions, attitudes, uh, identities of self. Selfishness, identification with the five groups, with the five khandhas, I am the body, I am my feelings, I am my mental formations, I am my, my habits, my emotions, I am uh, a conscious being, I am a person, I am a man, I am a human being, I am a Buddhist monk, I am Ajahn Sumato. All these things, I am. These are my robes. This is mine, these are mine, me and mine, and you, and so forth. These are the, these are how we're conditioned to think. This is the rea- this is considered the real world in terms of our society. The, the identification, attachment that to the five aggregates. So, in Dhamma, now we're seeing that the, that what we assume and think and believe is ourself is not really that at all. Anatta. It's all empty of self. The body is an empty condition. It's not self. It is what it is, like this. But it's not. It's not mine. It's not me or mine. The same with uh, Vedana, with feeling, the sensitivity, with the the power of Vedana, of attraction, aversion, through the senses, through the mind, the, all it. We tend to be so, Vedana, Sanya, Sankara, the whole kind of the psychological, emotional uh, conditioning that we're, 
that seems so much to always be saying, I am, you know, this is me, this is what the real me, this is how I really feel. This is the truth, you've got to believe this, this is urgent, this is important. Me, what about me? And, and all that is the, the cries of anguish, the insistence, the, 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 the power of the emotion. But seen from, the, from that pure awareness, in the refuge in Buddha, then all this is an objective. It, it, is, it, it, is, it says it's me, but it, when you really look at it and, and get to the cause and the root of it, it's nothing. There's no self to it at all. It's empty. All these cries, what about me? It's just empty. It has no, nothing. It just seems important. It has a it, it, it has that ability to convince, but it, when you really look at it from that pure state of awareness, the pure intelligence, it, there's nothing to it. It's empty, it's non-self. So as we, we reflect in this way, then we break down the 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 we begin to abandon and relinquish the habits and the conditioning of the mind and body and identity with it. Because we see through it. We're not trying to get rid of it. We're not making a statement that that it's bad and it shouldn't be this way. We're not passing judgment on it. We just recognize that it is that uh, attachment to it only leads to suffering. Because we, we realize this ourselves, we're not doing it because somebody tells us. We're actually proving it through our own practice, investigation. Buddha knows the Dhamma. And then the Sangha, they refuge in the community of those who practice in the right way the supatipano, ujupatipano. It means those who actually put into practice the, the, the Dharma teaching. It's the Sangha can be, uh, you know, it means community, like the church in Christianity. It, it can be uh, a, a visible community, like the Amravati community, or it can be uh, the, the bhikkhus, or the siladharas, or the Anagarikas, it can be all Buddhists, they're all beings who practice the Dhamma. Whether it's in whatever a group or, or a tradition they happen to be, uh, be uh, involved with, you can see it as the Sangha of the Four Quarters. All possibilities of any being practicing in the right way is the Sangha. In this way, it gives us a refuge in in this and uh, in the community that we're not just an isolated individual, but we 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 belong. We we our refuge is in in all in those beings that are practicing in the right way. So we have we feel this this bond, this connection of sangha, because. As individual, as uh, conscious uh, individual beings, we 
we can easily be lost in our own identity or feel isolated in ourselves. And practice can lead to a kind of uh, sense of just me alone against the rest. But Sangha is this refuge in which we can easily relinquish our personalities, our views, our opinions, our uh, self-importance, our status, our, our, our qualifications. Because our refuge is in Sangha, not in any worldly position or uh, any worldly identity. It also is, the Sangha is, is, is those who are moral, who, who respect the uh, human, uh, each human being, who would not exploit, take advantage, misuse any other being for any selfish end. It's, uh, it's the it's a community of, of complete integrity, taking responsibility. Each one of us take responsibility for how we act, how we, what we do, what we say. We're taking on that total responsibility to refrain from harming, intentionally harming other beings. Respecting the property and things and the possessions of other beings. And, and to not, uh, in the brahmacharya, the, from the anagarikas of the eight precepts, the siladharas and the, the ten precepts and the bhikkhus, the patimoka, then all this is the brahmacharya, life of, of uh, say, of, of celibacy, of not seeking to exploit uh, one's own body or any other form for any kind of sexual, intentional sexual pleasure. In the Sangha, we're looking at each other in terms of, of, of Kalyanamita, of noble friends, rather than as, as uh, personal, uh, personal attractions or uh, preferences and and a love, a romantic love, or, or uh, a, attachment to individuals. We're, we're trying to get some perspective on those tendencies that we all have to, to maybe like this one better than that, or feel infatuated, or attracted, or, or sexually interested, or fascinated, or using sexuality, using it for just our own uh, gratification at the expense then, uh, of someone else. So we're, we're refraining from that through this abramacharya, viramani. Then the uh, mutsamwada is taking complete responsibility for speech, our ability to talk and say things. So that we're, we're we're learning how to speak, how to use our language in a way that is direct, honest, and, and appropriate to time and place. Not using language to, to exaggerate, to, to harm, to insult, to, to uh, curse or swear, to lie, to delude anyone. So the Musawar is, is learning to take responsibility for our ability to speak because so much damage and harm is done through speech. 
practice through wrong speech, then the sura may raya refraining from addictive substances speaks for itself to to do not uh, try to use chemicals and and drugs and things that that change consciousness that may that give us a heedlessness and and where we lose mindfulness we're no longer able to take refuge in the buddha and the dhamma because we're we're caught up in in a refuge in some kind of chemi- chemical so we we're trying to develop normal consciousness that isn't influenced and altered by drugs for developing our path. Then the Vikalapochana, refraining, uh, restraint on food. The, the next one is restraint on, on activities, such as uh, refraining from dancing, singing, having uh, distractions that worldly people generally find pleasant. In worldly life, uh, there's nothing immoral, nothing wrong with dancing, singing, going to shows, playing games, dressing up and so forth. There's nothing immoral, it's not a moral piece. But we're renouncing that because uh, we're not seeking to, say, make ourselves uh, a sexually attractive or, or glamorous looking or competing in various ways and on fashion or in terms of uh, seeking uh, distractions of dancing and singing, playing games. So it's, we're, renounced, we're, we're, we're letting go of that, of that freedom to, to say, seek fun, fun, a pleasurable distraction to the senses. And then the Ujjasayana, uh, Mahasayana, so the Anagarikas, they refrain from, uh, say, just uh, trying to, uh, say, learning to, to learn how to sleep mindfully, not to just use sleep as another escape from uh, uh, practicing uh, meditation, because we can, we can. Uh, the, the eating, pleasurable entertainment, and sleep are what oftentimes people use to, to uh, distract themselves or to, to get away from things. Like when you get fed up with life, isn't it? when you get sick and fed up with everything, you just want to go to sleep. You want to sleep and sleep and not wake up. Fed up with Dancing, singing, going to shows, and eating food, and sex, and a whole lot. Fed up with it. I just want to sleep, pass out. So Ujjasayana is, is uh, not to seek or set yourself up in a situation where, where you can uh, encourage you to sleep for long periods of time. High, comfortable... Uh, water beds and super accommodations where we can just lay about and sleep and eat chocolate. <laughs> so these are, these are, say, uh, renunciate precepts, the last three, 
very much. Uh, they're not. They're not moral in the sense. That they're not necessarily moral precepts. In the, because there's nothing immoral about sleeping or eating or or seeking uh, pleasurable entertainment. But it's it's part of this this uh, this holy life of relinquishing that which is not conducive, directly conducive and helpful toward uh, the spiritual realization. During this uh, winter's retreat, it's been uh, very helpful because uh, there's also a, a kind of determination to to uh, increase the sense of responsibility and honesty amongst the Sangha. So this is uh, also trying to to eradicate the, the oftentimes misunderstandings and trying to to solve problems, personal problems or or difficulties between, say, monks and nuns, or individuals, or not. Because in this life, we need this direct honesty, this kind of trust, in which uh, we are not uh, just operating in, in terms of groups, or, or, or feeling uh, in any way, uh, you know, that, that anything we think or say is, has to be kept totally to ourselves or that there's something that we, we can't admit, we can't say, we can't bring into consciousness of the group. Is practicing living together and listening to each other. I like this, this idea of listening. Not just listening in order to, to just, uh, you know, argue with somebody or to listen to them in a kind of uh, because you have to, and, and then uh, then just react to them. But uh, listening to what somebody's saying, and trying to not just not be caught in in your own emotional reactions to what they're saying. So you're kind of listening in a, in a more deep way than just with your ear, and and then just hearing the words they're saying. And because if we do that, we tend to just react to somebody says something and we, and, and we can just react to it uh, as a habit. Just like the Pavlovian dog. Is there. If somebody says this word, we go like this. Somebody says that word, we go like that. And we can be just helplessly caught in the conditioning. Uh, if we're not really abiding in this refuge of the Buddha and Dhamma Sangha, so in this refuge of Buddha Dhamma Sangha means that we're we're now open, receptive, and listening. The mind is is alert, it's attentive, it's receptive, it's in its receptive state. It's not fixed on anything. There's no axe to grind. There's no position to take. We're not trying to prove anything, or we're not trying to convince anyone or defend any anything, but just this ability to open the mind, open the heart, and listen, pay attention, beyond just the surface, superficial uh, things that, that we might be seeing or hearing.
So then, this also is a way to, to uh, they begin to uh, realize our own, sometimes our own fears of exposure. I mean, living in a community with other human beings, there's a lot, uh, it can be quite frightening because uh, we, we can feel very threatened or very uh, vulnerable to other people. Especially in a system where there is a junior, senior hierarchical relationship. Sometimes we, we feel, you know, that we can really be somebody uh, with some authority and power can really uh, take advantage of us if we, if we kind of, uh, may, if we kind of expose our feelings or make ourselves vulnerable, we can be hurt or taken advantage of by some unscrupulous uh, guru or senior being, senior person. It's not an unfounded fear, is it? It's very possible to do that. Uh, so that they, you know, there's all kinds of scandals in the Buddhist world and in, in of modern religious cults and that, where uh, people are exploited and misused by uh, powerful teachers, priests, or monks, gurus. So there is a, there is a, you know, justifiable hesitancy, and uh, to uh, put oneself in a position of vulnerability. But it's when we have this trust, when we are willing to be vulnerable uh, in front of each other, that that they, that the spiritual life can really. Uh, develop. Because as long as we're caught up in just protecting ourselves and, and doing things as we want to, then uh, there's, uh, there's, we're, we're, uh, we're controlling, we're, we're still filtering, we're still, uh, we're still uh, trying to manipulate life to protect ourselves. And so in the sense of Sangha, we want to have this, we want to make the Sangha a real refuge of trust in Supatipano, Ujupatipano, Yaya Patipano, Samiji Patipano, in which we are all, uh, say, our intention, our, our willingness to say, listen and support, help and encourage each other towards the spiritual goal. All of us, in the, the bhikkhus, sinadras, the anagarikas, the lay people, we're all in this together. It's not a matter of, of uh, making a lot about the, the, uh, the conventions either. Bhikkhus are the most important, sinadras are kind of next in line, then anagarikas and, and then lay people. We can, we can get caught up in all kinds of, of uh, of views and opinions and identities with with these conventions, but that's not the point, is it? Whatever our position is in terms of convention isn't is is something to recognize, but not attached to. But the goal, the aspiration, is the is is the same goal, and we're encouraging each other towards that, not towards some kind of emotional attachment to this person or that person or towards 
any other kind of, uh, of uh, worldly thing. How can we live in the Sangha and, and develop that, that, that kind of life where we are encouraging each other towards the ultimate spiritual goal and not to say uh, towards uh, emotional attachment. And so the refuge in the Buddha Dhamma Sangha is like that. It's where we can actually see these tendencies, where we can talk about things. It's not that we, we, have to, we have to think that we have to be so pure and so good and so perfect that we don't ever feel infatuation or, or sexual desires for each other or any kind of... We have no, we, our whole relationship is based on such a high idealism that we don't dare admit to ourselves or anyone else that there's anything base or gross or low or coarse or selfish at all in our, in, that ever goes through our mind. That we're all sitting here and, and our minds are absolutely pure all the time. Sometimes we, we try to act like that, don't we? When we, when we attach to this idealism and then we, uh, we think and then we feel terrible because we maybe some of the thoughts and emotions we're experiencing are, are far from what anyone would consider pure or good or skillful because we, we tend to see them maybe in terms of comparing the, the reality of a situation to an ideal. But in the refuge of Buddha Dhamma Sangha, it's we're, the, we're looking at these conditions by, by totally accepting what we're feeling, what we're thinking. Totally accepting it for what it is, we can relinquish it, we can let go of it. So the way of practice is through this uh, bringing into consciousness, letting things, letting fear and, and anger and greed and lust into consciousness, not as a, not to uh, follow it, but to know it, because it's through our consciousness that we when we allow things into consciousness, we can see them. We can, we can reflect upon them in terms of Dhamma. Sape Sankaranita, Sape Tama Anatta. So we do have, we have to go through a purification that is quite difficult sometimes because much of what we're experiencing is a lot of anger, hatred, or lust or selfish obsessions or con- confusion or, or fears and, and anxiety and worry and, and dullness and sleepiness and endless doubts and, and feelings of insecurity and, and, and anxiety can become so much, can be uh, so much a part of what we're experiencing in, through consciousness. And that's why the refuge is so important because as long as we're kind of, as long as these conditions are present and they, they tend to keep, uh, keep uh, pressing in on our experience of life, 
until we learn how to resolve them, and that's through mindfulness, through seeing them in terms of what they really are. And it's not, uh, I think, well, they're impermanent and not self, and dis- they're not a dismissal. We're not using sapesankaranita, uh, sapetamanita, some kind of dismissing it, so not self, and try to get rid of it. But it's a willingness to totally accept all that we're most frightened of and dread and fear and, and maybe dislike. And so the acceptance, this acceptance isn't approval, but it's the willingness to feel life, to be sensitive, to feel, to, to uh, feel the pain, feel the hurt, feel the, the cold and the and the uh, ugliness and the, uh, the fears and desires of the mind. To feel the, the pain of a society that, that can be very insensitive. To feel the, 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 the resultant karma that we all have. The pain and the, the uh, uh, anguishing, uh, despairing uh, experiences that we have to feel them, means to accept them for what they are. They are what they are. They're like this. And then we have the insight into not creating suffering. So the Buddha was pointing to a realization that is is uh, is is so obvious, but not many people know about it. Because so much, most, uh, I assume anyway, most, it seems like to me, most of the world, most people on this planet are running around trying to find some kind of security and happiness and uh, terribly frightened, threatened by or the possibilities of poverty or humiliation, uh, uh, old age, sickness, death, despair, anguish, grief, and a whole lot. Uh, having to be separated from the loved, having to be with the unloved. That the, and that, this is what the Buddha pointed out 2,538 years ago. Uh, people in India were exactly the same. The same problems as we have. It's a human situation, isn't it? It's not... It's not a modern life, per se, or, you know, the, the, uh, this, this age that we're living in, that this suffering exists, it exists, it's, it's the, it's, this realm is like this. And it always has been, it's always been unsatisfactory, it's never been satisfactory. And when we want it to be satisfactory, <laughs> then uh, then we're asking it to be something that can't be. It's, it's just not that way. So we can, but through investigating, through recognizing the way it is, see that knowing the Dhamma, then we we have this insight to not to let go of the causes of suffering, which are based on 
this ignorance, not understanding things as they really are, by just being caught up in the momentum and the force of habit, of emotions, of thoughts, opinions, and views that we have, just by being stuck with that, uh, and then we, we endlessly end up feeling dissatisfied, discontented, frightened, worried, anxious. But as we take refuge, then we, we, we see, we can see our, for ourselves, know this, the, the Dhamma, the truth of the way it is, and we let go of the causes, the desires, And this is, so we don't create, we learn, how, we, we see how not to create suffering onto what we are experiencing in the present. Now this is very liberating teaching, because it, when you put it into practice, it really works. It's not just a Buddhist uh, idea. But it is actually practical and works when you when you apply it. So that's why we 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 need to develop that kind of investigative awareness. Yoniso Manasikara, looking into the causes and conditions of a situation. So, like the Four Noble Truths, is, is a very clear instruction on how to do that. Then we all have our vipaka kamma, the, the result of our lives, previous lives, or this life, whatever. So that that also comes up. No matter how many years you've been practicing meditation, you still have to face your vipaka kama, so whatever that is. Yeah. Getting old, for one thing. Then having sickness, uh, Loss of the love in the past few years in my life when all my loved ones and they have died. My parents, my teacher, teachers in Thailand, and people that say that that generation senior to me that was that I loved the most have have all died. Gone. Separation from the love, seeing the death uh, of parents. Of, of a highly respected teacher. Then uh, also recognizing that as we as we uh, develop this life, the mistakes we make in it, living together, don't we? We all affect each other in various ways, and we make mistakes. We don't always get it right. And so, but we keep reflecting, we keep learning from those errors. So we need that kind of awareness where, and honesty, where we can talk about uh, how we feel, how we see things, where we listen, 
We were not just telling each other how to practice all the time or, or kind of uh, uh, chastising somebody because they, they have grave doubts or they feel, uh, they feel a certain way that we think they shouldn't, they shouldn't be feeling like. Or people in the holy life can be very insensitive to each other. They can be very arrogant. And we can, we can be very uh, conceited because we, 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 we think we can know what, what somebody sh- how somebody should be thinking, how they should be practicing, uh, and, uh, and be very impatient and very uh, unkind to them because uh, we, we're, we're comparing them with maybe our own practice or with or maybe we find it irritating that somebody isn't uh, saying all the things that make us feel comfortable, make us feel good. Here in Britain, one of the the kind of habits here is to is to is to hide your feelings, isn't it? A stiff upper lip and put on a good face and don't dump your problems on anybody. And uh, it's all, in some ways, very very good a kind of thoughtful society in which the society tries to uh, not make life unnecessarily unpleasant for other people. So we do develop maybe a kind of noble sense of I mustn't really tell anyone because it would upset them. I must, you know, smile and be nice and and be polite and say all the right things and and, uh, just bear the pain secretly. So in one way, one appreciates that, but in another way, it has a terrible result. (laughs) That uh, people can oftentimes feel they can't ever, even to themselves, admit their own despair or their own fear, what they're feeling. Or if they do, they feel feel there's something wrong with them, that, that the rest of us don't feel that way. You can easily project onto me Oh, I've got this, I've got these fears and these terrible thoughts and this anger, but Ajahn Sumedho, he doesn't. Easy to see me maybe as some kind of person that maybe was, was born uh, from, uh, as a, uh, through a virgin birth. And just kind of was so good from the beginning and that, that uh, never felt any any anger or lust or anything like that. Because when you're talking to, you know, we can present ourselves as, uh, in ways that, that uh, we can sound like we've, we're just so uh, accomplished and that we wouldn't, that we've never had the problems you've had. But when we're willing to talk about what it is to be human, what it is to have a human body, to have a man's body. What is it like to have a male body? What is the experience? What is it like to have a female body? How does that affect your consciousness? How does that influence your life? Just the feminine conditions of a body or the masculine conditions of a body. So that we're, we're contemplating this, not in terms of judging, but just recognizing that it's like this. Not saying that anything wrong with it whatsoever, but just begin to notice what it really is. What is being human? 
what is a human being? So we're contemplating the, the most obvious identity. We all think, well, of course we're human, but do we really know what human is? Taken for granted, isn't it? We're all human, of course. But do you really know what being human is? Not, not a, from, don't look it up in the dictionary, the, the definition of the word, but contemplate it is, is, as something, uh, what, what it is, what, what we mean by that as an experience with ourselves. This is the humanity of this being. What is it in common with you? Because we're all human. We all share that. Monks and nuns are all human. No, there's a, we're not emphasizing the gender then. We're not emphasizing masculinity, femininity. We're emphasizing a common experience that we all have. Lay people, anagarikas, monks and nuns. So then, then we're we're beginning to to recognize the the forces, the the influences that we have in uh, through consciousness. Because birth, being born as a human being, means that we live as a conscious, separate conscious entity. And that each one of us is is has to live our lives like this in a in a separate form, conscious form. So consciousness is, is nothing wrong with consciousness, it's just a function in nature, isn't it? Consciousness, vinyana, is just, it's, it's not culturally conditioned. Consciousness is a result of birth. Consciousness isn't Asian or European or male or female, it's just this, the function natural function. The body itself is a natural condition. Follows it follows the laws of nature. So the human body, male or female, is a natural condition. Consciousness is a natural condition. Then what what is what is then comes after birth is instilled in us, like like the uh, sanya sankara. You know, through Vedana, Sanya, Sankara, we, we seek pleasure and avoid pain. We start as an infant where we, we seek pleasure and we try to avoid pain. Then we, we, then we develop, we have memory, we have, we have language memory, we have retentive memory, we, we can imagine, we can create with our minds, we can reason, we can think, imagine, create, reason, rationalize, and we identify, we attach, we believe, we, we, we're caught in this conditioning of uh, through Vedana, Sanya, Sankara, that we, we, uh, we develop a sense of our separate, unique personalities separate souls, identities that are based on the illusions of, of what's instilled in us from, say, our cultural background, ethnic background, family, class, race, nationality, religion, all these are instilled in us. They're not 
the, the natural part of them is that they arise and cease. But they each each one is 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 made up by human by human beings, isn't it? Languages and the and the values, the the uh, cultural emphases, the the sense of our value as a person. All this is conditioned into the mind. So in 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 uh, meditation, say the refuge in Buddha Dhamma Sangha is is getting outside, taking the position of the witness, the watcher, the listener, the Buddha, knowing the Dhamma, rather than this person trying to to solve his own problem. So even the way we think, it, we need to develop a, a more skillful way of thinking than just the cultural condition way of thinking that we're used to. Because thought itself is, is then being used in a skillful way as a tool rather than as a habit. And it's just a habit that we've acquired. During this uh, week, you have the chance to contemplate these things. Freedom and responsibility. These are two very interesting uh, themes to contemplate. Not to, you don't have to have strong views about it, but they listen to each other. Really try to contemplate what freedom is in terms of what most just the kind of worldly freedom means, and what do we mean by ultimate freedom, like vimuti, liberation, freedom, because freedom is a word used for so many different uh, things. Freedom and responsibility. Responsibility is a word that oftentimes puts people off. You don't want responsibilities. Because it limits our freedom. If I take on responsibilities, then I'm not free. Or what is, is, or is responsibility something that necessarily denies freedom? So these are things for contemplation. Not to have a position, a fixed view about it, not to say that, that, that one view is right and the other wrong, but to really... Uh, Reflect on it, ponder on it, so that it these uh, and, and about in your own practice, not just as abstractions or ideals for for some kind of vague sangha community or for the new age, but for just your own uh, apply it to your own experience as a as a member of this sangha, freedom and responsibility. And just to, to take it, too, and play the devil's advocate or, you know, look at it in different ways because the human mind is an incredibly flexible, malleable mind when, we, when we're not just fixed or when we're not just holding to one view. It's where the, you see the problems 
that arises because we come, become very fixed. He has a, this is right and that's wrong and, and my view is right and, uh, and uh, your view is wrong, absolutely. And there's no way you can ever uh, learn from that. You know, either you have to convert somebody to your view or you have to dismiss them as a heretic. If I'm, my view is the absolutely right view and you don't agree with it, then either I've got to convert you, force you to believe my view, or I've got to dismiss you as an apostate. And so that, that's common in religious, uh, in, in any religion, isn't it? To, to be that kind of fundamentalist approach where you, you, you have a very rigid narrow view of what's right and then anyone that doesn't agree with it is, uh, is uh, an apostate heretic well there's no openness in that there's just it's merely that's what you do when you when you, when you try to uh, make people believe you conversion by the sword or through tyranny but the, the Buddha Dhamma is, uh, is this freedom for reflection, for contemplation. These words are very important for examination, investigation. These, uh, the Buddha encouraged this. Yoniso Manasikara, looking into the causes and conditions of things. And not just rationally or uh, through abstract thought but through looking at yourself uh, what is it like to feel anguish or to feel what is fear what does it feel like to be feel threatened or to feel misunderstood or feel uh, anger And so you, your, your mind then is, is looking, is watching, is opening to what you're actually feeling, what's going on in your guts, what, what you're actually feeling in the moment. Interesting is uh, some of the reflections we had about how, you know, I think feeling for, especially for men, I think it's, uh, it's something we, we're not used to, to uh, being aware of our feelings. I think women are, tend to be more aware of their feelings, generally speaking. But speaking for myself, it, that whole idea of being aware of feeling, was uh, I could understand the idea of it, but feeling was something I wasn't uh, particularly interested in or, or uh, could easily kind of dismiss because I, one liked to think, one liked to to define one like rational thoughts and definitions and ideas that, that I like very much, very interesting. But to really go to pain and and uh, doubt, uncertainty, to to really look and accept loneliness, feeling alone or feeling sad, sadness, or, or just anxiety, or, or feeling uh, 
remorse, guilt. What is that like? So we, 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 we can we begin to say, open our consciousness with this uh, taking refuge in Buddha, seeing the Dhamma, then we can really look at, we can accept, we can embrace what we're feeling, no matter how painful it might seem, or how many years we've, we've tried to avoid it, or dismiss it, or deny it. And not make anything out of it. We're not trying to, to analyze it on a personal level, but to just recognize it. It's like this. As, an, as Dhamma, what is subject to arising and subject to ceasing? Not self. But it is this way. It's not, not a dismissal or denial or judgment, but it's a full acceptance and understanding of things as they really are. Also, very, at this time, this is my this is my 19th Vasa. This year will be the 19th Vasa in Britain, and uh, very uh, the uh, the sangha that uh, has developed here. We've been through a lot together. <laughs> All kinds of highs and lows, and uh, hopes and disappointments, and so forth. So there's a there's a strong bond, isn't it? A sangha of of having been through a lot. So it's not just just a, a, a superficial kind of inspiration of the, of a new fad, isn't it? Now there is some greater depth and and maturity in this sangha. Both the, the monks and the nuns. And so that's very good. It's very uh, uh, encouraging, very uplifting to see. And that, you know, especially to see people sticking it out, going through uh, great uh, periods of despair and doubt and... and uh, disillusionment, and yet being able to bear with that to the point where they get a perspective on it, and not just give up when, the, when it all looks hopeless. And that shows a great deal of strength uh, kind of in, in maturity, to be able to do that, to not just, it's not right on the highs of life, that so much of life is uh, is enduring through what seems unendurable or unbearable, and then we find out we can endure the the arvipaka gamma and the things that happen to us. But what we can't bear, we can't stand, is the suffering we create ourselves. That is horrible. The suffering I create is horrible. I can't stand it. I find I can, I can endure all kinds of pain and problems and difficulties that come to me that I'm feeling. If I'm mindful, I can, I can endure, I can forbear all of that. I can, I'm getting better at it. I mean, it might be 
I mean, I'm, I'm not boasting. <laughs> I'm much better than I used to be. But what is horrible is, uh, is, this, is the suffering I create onto life. It's just, can't stand it. I'm not going to do it anymore. Because the, the rubbish that I create, you know, is just, you know, don't have to do it. You can see that you don't have to, that's where, we, where we're free. We don't have to create suffering. We have to bear with this realm, this, this conscious experience, this, this human state, and, and the things that happen to it. We can bear that. And... Uh, whatever that might imply, both on the physical and the emotional uh, experience. But the choice we have now is through this practice of uh, development of the path, we, we, don't, we, we see the way of not creating suffering, not creating suffering onto the experiences we're we're having in the present, and that's very liberating. So I offer this uh, for your reflection, and uh, I will be going tomorrow to Sri Lanka, and uh, feel uh, kind of longing to stay here and participate. And also an uh, interest in going to Sri Lanka. <laughs> this is the Vipaka Kama of my life. have a break now and at 10 o'clock we will we will have the dedication of the Manga Puja and then do uh, have the circumnambulation around the the white stupa out in the field and then come back in here and say goodbye <laughs>